throughout all of theater film month, what restaurant has made the most appearances in our movies? What restaurant? Yeah. Oh, Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen. Two Dairy Queen appearances. <laughs> And welcome to another episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here at Cinenation, we analyze genres and the tropes within them. And we tend to spend each month on a specific genre. And for the month of June, we've been discussing theater movies. And for our last episode of the month, we're going to be discussing a director who has worked within that genre. And that director is Bob Fosse, a, a director who started off in the theater and then transitioned to film and kind of continued to work on both those mediums uh, for his entire career. But first, uh, Thomas, can you give us like a recap on the theater genre and kind of what we talked about for the past month? Yeah. So some of the stuff we've we've discussed um is a, a lot of the films tend to focus on like new fame versus old fame um mm-hmm. we'll see like the the aging star who's like aging out of their role and their fame um while we see like the rise of a new star and we've studied a lot of movies that kind of take it both ways like 42nd street is like on we're on the side like firmly on the side of the like ingenue and the 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 new up-and-coming star whereas in like what about eve we're more on the side of the the person who's who's being aged out by a uh, very crafty and calculating uh, new star. Uh, but that a lot of the focus kind of has to do with that and with fame and dealing with fame. Uh, you know, we talked about a lot about Birdman and kind of the different types of fame and whether you're an artist or whether you're a movie star and how that translates between the difference between uh, film and, and stage and all that. Um, yeah. And then, and then one of the things we, we talked about uh, especially is the idea of like the third act production uh, a lot of these yeah. movies were watching someone put a show together and then the third act is is just a full-on performance of what we've been seeing happen yeah and the weird thing about talking about all, all that and us covering bob fossey is that i don't know if he fully fits into all those tropes that we've talked about for the past month yeah I think there's some, especially all that jazz. I do think all that jazz fits in the most of all of these, but yeah, I think especially that's, that's something I noticed for sure. Watching him having studied all this is he's someone who very intensely ties his numbers into the narrative. Yeah. And, um, and so you just get a lot of, of numbers throughout as opposed to like the big number at the end that we're used to. Yeah. And he, He only made five movies, but three of them are musicals. And weirdly, only one of them is a musical about theater, and that's all that jazz. And weirdly, too, two of the three musicals I are are you almost wouldn't classify as musicals if that makes sense. Like some like like there's songs in them, but they're not as traditional musicals if that makes sense mm-hmm. like when we talk about I mean, they, cabaret and all ca- jazz yeah cabaret and sweet charity are still it's they still kind of revolve around like show business they're both about exactly. like like dance halls but uh and and then even even lenny to an extent deals with a performer like weirdly all of his movies deal with performing in some way or the idea of celebrity and that's mm-hmm. even kind of apparent in his theater career I I mean, I guess this is kind of answering the question of why we picked Bob Fosse, but also too, he's like, he was one of the guys or one of the few directors, maybe the only director that did it as well, that was able to transition from theater 
to film. And we've always kind of talked about as like theater is this, um, is kind of considered the high art at this point, And that film is considered the low class, like for, for the money aspect of it. That's discussed in Birdman, discussed in All About Eve. And Bob Fosse was kind of one of those guys who did both. And I think succeeded in both. Yeah, I mean, you've got you. You also got Sam Mendes, but nineteen seventeen just doesn't really fit into this genre as well as no. Sweet Charity does. I mean, you're you're <laughs> I, 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 you're right about Mendes, but like Fosse's a guy in terms of the early ones, and we'll I'll talk about this when I kind of break down his early beginnings, where like he was the only one to to make that jump successfully. Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of directors who would co-direct movies, but never became like, hey, here's your first movie, go direct it, and then have a career. But what what stuck out to me watching these, and this is probably this kind of has to go with why, as much as we've studied like theater and and musicals in this in this particular genre, um, why his stuff doesn't necessarily feel like it fits because he he felt like someone who was instead of like trying to make a movie about theater, he was just trying to like make he he was. I don't even know how to word this. He was trying to take something from the stage and put it within the camera in a way that didn't draw your attention to the fact that like, oh, this is a stage adaptation. Yeah. He was trying to like make it completely a movie, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I was I told my, my girlfriend who is, is, is very familiar with his work and I was wasn't as familiar with it going into this. I, I was very surprised at how much uh talent he had for like camera movement and yeah. camera visuals so, to take something like going into this I, I was familiar with his um choreography work and i was familiar with his dance and it's i was i was not expecting much out of the camera because yeah. it's hard for someone to think who thinks so physical like normally if you take someone who works in theater you're gonna have great blocking yeah, but not necessarily great like camera work. And he had both. He had a great visual mind as well as like a great physical and like performance and movement mind. And it's honestly crazy how easy it feels like it was to him. Like when mm-hmm. you watch the like like even with Sweet Charity, but specifically Cabaret, when you're like, he had a a compl- a, a good understanding of how to not make film be like theater. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was to prep for this. I mean, I read a lot to prep for this and watched a lot to prep for this. But one of the things that we read in the Roger Ebert review of Star 80, which was Fosse's last film, he goes, although his Broadway musicals have been upbeat entertainments, he seems to see the movie camera as a device for peering into our shames and secrets. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that's literally the career in terms of film of what he's kind of going into. But yeah, so we just we we picked Fosse, and and you and I have never really talked about Bob Fosse, I don't think. So, what, how many films had you seen before going into this? I had never seen any of these fully. Okay, I've seen plenty of like pieces of cabaret on Turner Classic Movies. I had seen pieces from all that jazz, and I had seen pieces. We we talked about Lenny on the podcast before, so yeah, I yeah. watched like scenes from Lenny for that. Um, I've seen his like earlier stuff. I've seen his choreography and earlier, um, like when he was working on like kiss me Kate and damn Yankees and that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I was just aware of him as a person specifically, um, you know, being in a relationship with someone who came up through musical theater. Like it's, yeah, it's his name is spoken in like hushed tones. He's, he's, uh, uh, an icon. And, um, 
and was yeah so like i said was very was like aware that he had gone into film directing but wasn't expecting that much out of it necessarily yeah and this is a guy i've always i've kept saying this when we do these director episodes of like the people i've like preached when i worked at the video store and and fossey was kind of one of those guys um but to break down because we're doing a director episode i gotta give you some backstory on bob fossey so stay with me guys I'm reading his 700-page biography. It's crazy, and so I want to. I want to. I I read a lot about the early beginnings of how he got started and his childhood, and a lot of that has an effect on his films in a, in a big way. So Bob Fosse was born in 1927 in Chicago. His father was a failed vaudevillian actor. He became a traveling salesman for the Hershey Chocolate Company. And uh, his and, and Bob Fosse's mother stayed at home uh, and he was like the, the fifth of six children. So a lot of kids around. And Fosse growing up went to dance classes with his sister. That's how he got started. And two of his teachers by the name of Fred Weaver and Marguerite Comerford. And so Fosse at like age 11 starts working as like in a, like a, a act or a dancing duet with a with a classmate of his and weaver is the guy who kind of manages them and weaver is feels like kind of a shrewd business guy who sets up this deal with these two like 11 year old kids basically to go around and work nightclubs and do like dancing acts and Fosse's parents signed off on it and basically signed like a 10-year deal to where weaver would make 15 percent of Fosse's money while he was in this act and until he was 21 basically and so Fosse was leading like two lives one is like a student and a kid going like having a normal life and then at night and on the weekends working at these like shady burlesque halls that were being ran by gangsters basically and one thing kind of delves into the book is that a lot of his sexual first sexual experiences came at these burlesque halls by these strippers basically and he's, it said that once they found out he was underage, they kind of like made it a thing where they mocked him, essentially kind of doesn't really say it directly, but essentially molested him in a way, like made it to where they forced him to do stuff as a way to have fun with them. And as he got older, a resentment to his parents because they never stepped in and like told him, like never protected him during this. And I think weirdly, specifically with his mother, he had an issue that she was the one that was always home and never stepped in to like say, Hey, maybe what are you doing at night? She never really cared as much. And see, he always kind of felt unsafe because of that. And it, he went to analysis for a while, trying to figure out what his issues were with his, with his parents, especially his mother, because of all that. And also with women, because it established a weird kind of trend with him, with how he dealt with women. And he eventually, eventually becomes a womanizer and has many affairs. Well, I've been using the term vaudeville, but frequently I mean vaudeville nightclubs, uh, vaudeville with uh, movie presentations in conjunction with it. As far as what it gave to me, was that your question? Yes. I think it gave me a lot of experience uh, in being able to take care of myself, just personally being able to take care of myself. And I could see, a, I see in my later work where I, I've drawn a great deal from because this was not very uh, high-class vaudeville. It was a very low-class vaudeville. So uh, I've drawn a great deal from that sort of seedy background that I 
went through, whether it was good for me or not, I don't know. He gets older, gets into kind of these dancing reviews in the 40s where he works with people like Carl Reiner. And Fosse is kind of coming up at a time when musical theater is evolving and dance has become a big part of it. And he's kind of there. And Fosse is a guy where he's trained in ballet, but he's not that good at it because his physical features are not really perfect for it. He always talked about how he had slumpy shoulders. Uh, he wore a hat in his dances because he was balding by the age of 25. And a lot of that, he didn't like his hands, so he wore gloves, apparently. So all this becomes a part of Fosse's later style and dance. But during this time, he starts training with Sanford Meisner doing acting classes. And uh, he was introduced to Meisner by his second wife, Joan McCracken. McCracken is a big influence on his career. Uh, she helps him. Ass essentially, he gets a, 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 a acting deal at MGM, signs a seven-year deal to be an actor. He goes there. Nothing really happens. His biggest thing is probably Kiss Me, Kate, where he is uh, does choreography for like a, a minute after that, he was like, you know what? I don't like this. Like, they don't know how to use me. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm going back to New York. He goes back to New York, and Joan McCracken takes her director that she was on a play with, George Abbott, to go see Kiss Me, Kate. She knows Abbott is looking for a choreographer for this play called The Pajama Game, and she's trying to use Kiss Me, Kate as an audition piece for Fosse. It ends up being a big hit. He ends up going on to doing Damn Yankees. And McCracken is kind of a big influence on him during this point as well. But she has a lot of these health issues. She has diabetes. She's having these kind of heart attacks. And and uh, Fosse and McCracken are keeping it secret to people because they don't want to ruin her career. He starts seeing Gwen Verdon, who he meets in Damn Yankees. And Gwen Verdon is like, because like the hottest new thing on Broadway. Uh, ends up be kind of becoming his true, like, like equal in terms of collaborator. And if you want to know more about the, the Fosse Verdon story, just watch the, the FX show that came out last year. Cause it goes pretty in depth with it. And she was, she ends up being like wins four Tonys and she ends up being a person that also fights for him. He ends up le leaving Joe McCracken. He says she always has this hold over him. This will all come into play later guys. Just stay with me, <laughs> but he's working with Gwen Verdon she ends up kind of helping push him to be a director that becomes a big partnership. And again, as this is happening, you're having musical theater change with things like West side story and dancing is becoming an integral part in the theater at, at theater world. And Fosse is kind of at the right place at the right time. And he is a guy where he's not doing ballet and more traditional styles like uh, Jerome Robbins and West side story or Agnes DeMille in Oklahoma but he's combining ballet and jazz and all the stuff he learned at like burlesque houses, like these kind of like lowbrow time types of dancing and combines it with these highbrow types of dancing. Whew. Okay. <laughs> then he gets the sweet charity, which is leading into the first movie that he does, but it ends up as a Broadway show in 1966 and it stars Gwen Verdon who's not cast in the movie. It ends up being, it ends, the person ends up being cast in Sweet Charity is Shirley MacLaine, who weirdly was a understudy on the pajama game that Fosse choreographed. Hmm. And she got discovered on that show. So she ends up starring in Sweet Charity and she's like, hey, I want Bob Fosse to direct this. No one else can do it. I won't do it unless he does it. 
And so that's how Fosse gets into directing movies at the age of 41. Okay, that's my spiel on Bob Fosse's background that hopefully everything comes together later. So he does Sweet Charity. I've never seen Sweet Charity before this. You hadn't either. I think it was the, we, we watched this one last. Yeah. So what were, or tell us what Sweet Charity is about and then we'll talk about what we thought of it. So it's, I did not realize this. I knew some of the songs from it. Like I just knew it. Like obviously everybody knows Hey Big Spender. Um, but I knew a couple of the songs from it actually once I started watching it. I was like, oh, some many of these have made their way into pop culture even though I didn't like, know much about this movie um which obviously i started watching it and in the opening credits it says based upon uh based upon a play by neil simon based upon the movie knights of Kyberia by uh fellini which i've seen and had no idea that it had been adapted into a play or a movie in, in english um so that was a surprise but uh but yeah it's just kind of about the 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 I mean, if if we're compare the, the simplest plot boiled down, which is the same as Knights of Kiberia, is just kind of the the life of a an escort who is just very like happy go lucky, and even though like life doesn't go her way, she always sees it in a in a in a bright light, you know, in a, in a in an optimistic way. And so, in Sweet Charity, it's about a she's a dance hall escort so it's never it's never set out she works in a dance hall where the the women dance in front of the customers and the customers can pick a woman and pay to have like dinner with her in the hall and then it is also implied that they are they are also prostitutes outside of the outside of the dance hall um but it's about charity we kind of see it we see her in like three failed relationships um essentially through the movie um it kind of opens with her getting like robbed and almost murdered by her first boyfriend and then there's a, an extended sequence where she meets a an italian movie star uh played by ricardo montalban and then uh but it's like passed over when his ex comes back and then the 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 meat of the movie is is a relationship that she has with a an insurance agent uh who she thinks is going to be like her the one is going to get her her key to a normal life. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's you're, you're kind of watching her go through life and and there's some musical numbers. There's some like within the dance hall, which is where Hey Big Spender comes from. It's kind of our intro to the dance hall and then some numbers as we're as we're seeing her uh, fall in love and fall out of love and fall back in love and and uh, go on this go on this journey with her for two out two and a half hours which is why this was the last one that I, same that i watched it's, it's his longest movie <clears throat> and it's my least favorite of them probably yeah yeah I, i'd agree with you what's so weird about watching this movie it, it I, I almost want this is when i was wondering like what's when do you watch sweet charity in the fossey canon and i almost feel like the last the last one might be the right choice to do because I feel like it's one where he hasn't fully discovered his voice yet. And I don't think you're going to spot it unless you've seen his other works, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's there, but it's not as strong as some of his later stuff. It feels like a big, like it's, it's, it's two competing forces. It's Bob Fosse and also Gwen Verdon, who was involved in kind of helping him with choreography and kind of the look of everything. And also the competing force of the studio. It's like the studio mm -hmm. is wanting to make 
a a big time musical that at this point are kind of they're kind of out of style. It's 1969, new Hollywood's coming in, and these kind of lavish musicals aren't really being made and aren't really being aren't really successful at this point. You're having failures like Doctor Doolittle uh, around that time, I think in '67, and so they hire Fosse to make a big Broadway spectacle. But he tries to like add little things where it's like you have like one dance sequence that's all, or this one musical number that's all in slow motion at one point. Mm-hmm. He's also using like f- photographs during like some montages, which is interesting. But it, it's just it's two competing forces. So it's like why I say it's almost the best one to watch last. It's always like, oh, there's one more Bob Fosse film I, I haven't seen. Oh, this is kind of a, a, a nice discovery. Also, probably his lightest movie. Out of the yeah. five. So why you might want to like, I would almost say, and this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but I would almost say start with Cabaret and just work your way forward. Because it's just mm-hmm. going to get darker. And I don't really want to le- like leave Fosse on Star 80 because it's just pitch black. Um, so how do you feel about McLean in this role? She was fun. Yeah, she's very charming in it. Um, yeah, the cast was the cast was a lot of fun. There were some really cool sequences. The sequence with Sammy Davis Jr. was incredible. Um, you know, that's that's you, you can see. I think it's definitely a movie where he was a stronger choreographer in this movie and yeah. was experimenting. You can see him like figuring out his visual style here. Yeah, but the 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 scenes that are like pure Fosse choreography are are incredible. Yeah, it's like Big Spender. I think is like. When you're like, I think I was reading a review, like it came out at the time. They're like, oh, when that musical number comes up, you're like, oh, this is like, this is what we were paid to see. We're paying to see was yeah. this with this type style. Because um, it does feel a little bit of like a mix of the old traditional style musical with this new like trend of of filmmaking that was happening at that point. What what else didn't work about it that that we haven't talked about? I mean, you definitely feel the link. Like movies can be two and a half hours yeah. and, and and be good, but you you feel it here. Uh, and it might be part of the like because the story is very disjointed. I mean, you don't really meet Oscar, who ends up being the main love interest, until like almost halfway through the movie. So you know, it's just one of those things that might work in a play, but but when you get to film and and you you're expecting like basic film structure, it kind of throws you off a little bit. You spend the first half of the movie with like Ricardo Montalban, and then it's like, oh, that was just like a fun little, uh, yeah, that was just like a fun little adventure she had. Here's the real story, like that. That just is is kind of tough. Uh, it uh, it really could have been just her like storyline with Oscar could have been like the, the whole movie, movie yeah. really, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was fun. I I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. Same, but. Uh, <laughs> It was interesting to see for sure in this in this whole study. Like you said, it's 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 interesting to come back and see once you once you have gotten like all that jazz, which is like pure unadulterated Fosse visual style, to come back and see and see this is like oh okay he was starting to figure it out. It does it's you know we've we, I've talked on this podcast a lot about loving like a first movie from someone when they're just like this is this is what's inside my head here you go and i don't like at that point in in the studio system i'm sure that wasn't allowed um but but you you really don't get to that point from him some a lot of times people just are like here's everything that's inside my head and then they start to figure it out later and he feels like the opposite 
like he was building up towards and then it's like all that jazz and he's like this is welcome to my brain yeah this is how i feel yeah exactly i agree completely with that yeah it was it it felt like it was he was being hired to direct a studio movie first time out of the gate and the budget for the movie was 20 million dollars in 1969 today that would be 139.7 million dollars wow that he would get for a directorial debut it only made 8 million oof which means it only would make 50 55.9 million dollars today it apparently almost sank universal pictures because of how big of a bomb it was wow and he was just kind of like well i guess my career's over as a director you walked in the joint I could see you were a man of distinction, a real big spender. Good looking, so refined. Say, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? So let me get right to the point. I don't pop my cork for every guy I see. But on to Cabaret, I'll start off with this because I'll, I'll say the people that, that I read were, were considered for this movie mm-hmm. because I feel like it's important because Fosse, like, I don't know how he got hired. Like, I, I legit, like, when you lose that much money, um, it's because he was he had worked with the, the, the producers and the people who did Cabaret before on previous shows and they kind of brought him in. But originally the names that were considered for director, Billy Wilder which feels a little too like getting towards the end of Billy Wilder's, Wilder's career for Cabaret. Mm-hmm. Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who did uh, All About Eve, and, and Gene Kelly. Wow. And it went to Bob Fosse. Cabaret, adaptation of the, of the 1966 musical, but the musical was also based on a play, which I think was in turn based on like a autobiographical, semi-autobiographical novel called The Berlin Stories. And it's basically about a group of people who were living in Berlin at the time of essentially not Nazi occupation when Nazis are coming in before the the World War World War II, and you're in the movie you're gonna see really done I think incredibly well of just like how Nazis are slowly taking over society in Berlin. Yeah, and also how how liberal Berlin was pre Nazis, which I, I think has been lost to history a lot but um this is one of the things that has kind of kept that alive but it's very well known that germany was i mean part part of the reason the nazis were able to rise up was because they formed this this conservative movement against all the the liberal ideas that were happening within the metropolitan areas yeah and so basically cabaret takes place at this at this club called the kit kat club where a a young english i think i think he's off young english author who is uh coming up comes to berlin and meets his like kind of next door neighbor at this boarding house, uh, Sally Bowles, who's played by Liza Minnelli, 
who's this American singer who works the club. And so you're kind of, everything's kind of surrounded, uh, evolves around the club and the people there. And you're seeing all the numbers take place in the club, except one is take place outside of it. And they cut all the outside numbers basically from the play and made it just like in the club. What did you think of Cabaret when watching it? Yeah, I I enjoyed it. It was not my favorite of his, but um, I, I've seen it. I've seen it on stage. You know, I, I've seen pieces of the movie. I was very familiar with it. I just never sat down for a full run through. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely a, an excellent adaptation from stage to film in a way that it is absolutely uh per like you can see that they took everything and they they didn't feel confined to be like this is how it's done on stage how do we do it yeah for a movie it it, it flows perfectly as as a movie and as a visual piece uh and and i mean and part of that is because the musical numbers are like performed for you but uh but the language of it is is really well done the way you kind of like hop back into the cabaret to see somebody sing about where normally within a musical you someone would just like stop and burst into song about the emotions that they're feeling for this it it cuts back to an actual performance in the cabaret but gives us an idea of what is going on within the movie um it's almost like a greek chorus yeah um that and and you know we have uh kind of the, the MC of the cabaret is, is kind of the narrator of, of the whole thing. And Joel Gray won it, won an Oscar, he did. right? He did. Yeah. He did. For playing the MC, which is fun because he, I mean, he, he, he's not a character outside of this no. the show. He is. Ju- we just see him within the show. And, uh, but, but the show is constantly commenting on what's happening within the plot, which is, it's, it's really, really well done. And, and when hearing you talk about that, I just realized how, in a lot of his movies, actually from Cabaret probably onward, you kind of have this device of a character or characters leading us through the story. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's not the main character. Um, and Joel Gray is kind of the first one who, like, weirdly, you don't know how to feel about his character, if that makes sense. Like, is he... I don't dumb it down this much, but is he a good guy or a bad guy? Like, yeah, yeah. He, he, I mean, he's he, you. You never really feel like he's. You never really get like his point of view on what's no. happening. He feels it's it's very it's very Greek chorus in that way. Like he is he is just offering you like this is what's happening, and usually is offering some kind of like humorous take on what yeah you're watching. Like as 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 you start getting as the Nazis start rising to power, they have a couple of songs that are like poking fun at the Nazis. And it's, it's kind of yeah. twisted because you're seeing like very, it'll cut from like a very serious, like a sight of a communist who's been murdered in the street. And then yeah. it'll cut to this like really tongue in cheek dance number that, that the, that the Kit Kat club is putting on about Nazis. So there is kind of this like twisted dark humor that, that the MC is always presenting us with. Uh, so yeah, it, it does make it kind of hard to see like he, since he always approaches everything as like tongue in cheek, it's hard to know like where he stands for yeah. sure. Exactly. And so, because that's why by the end of it, when the Nazis have kind of taken over, you just, you read it in a different way. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, it, se- like it seems like now he's, I don't know. It was weird. I always feel like he was like happy. Like, oh, the Nazis are here. And it just, it's something that just feels off, not off in a bad way, but like just something feels like there's something more to all of this. And, uh, but how do you, how did you feel about Liza Minnelli in this role? Because I know. You're you're not a huge Liza Minnelli fan. Sorry to like throw you under the bus with this. No, no, no. Uh, it's just it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I, when I was a kid, 
my late and this this is a hard thing you know my introduction to liza minnelli was she'd gotten married again and her <laughs> husband was her husband was like a really weird dude i don't remember what his yeah, name no, was I, I remember yeah, yeah they yeah. were like all over the tabloids and they were yep. always on like entertainment tonight talking about like her new husband and he was just a weird dude and like that was my introduction to liza minnelli so that's always gonna kind of like taint my view of her i don't know i don't know <laughs> i saw her in the tabloids that one time i just can't i can't get a hold of that and dude's it was, face it was constant there was this period of time it was, maybe it was it just was. like when i was first starting to get like really aware of the television i was probably yeah. like seven or eight when it happened and she had just gotten married again and they were all over the news they were like this is her i don't, I don't yeah. even know like seventh marriage or whatever yeah, and here's her new husband and they, they had all these interviews with them and they were both just like drugged out of their mind and it was just like and I mean, I, I love her, and you know, not you know, I got a little bit older, and she did Arrested Development. She was really fun in that, and like poked fun at herself. But like that is always going to be okay. The first thing that I, I associate that. Liza Minnelli I, with, I, and that's I, unfortunate. Yeah, it is. Um, I, 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 my mom would get People, Mag- People magazine a lot, and so I remember seeing a lot of the stories, like when they got married, and yeah. But but even like you know, as much as I love Arrested Development and love her character in Arrested Development, it's hard to like go back and see Sally as this like sex figure knowing like Lucille too. Um, you know, it's, it, I don't, it's, it's weird. Some people I can like completely separate what they were like when they got older with like their younger career. But for some reason with her, I, I just see like her, her more current work and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's Liza Minnelli from <laughs> Arrested Development and like all and the tablets. Oh man. Well, I'll say this. I think she's great in this movie. Um, and weirdly, I think the 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 three best songs in this movie she's involved in, and they weren't in the original musical. Hmm. And that's Mine Hair, Maybe This Time, and Money Money. Not yeah, as, Maybe This Time is incredible. Yeah. Like, she's, she's great in that. That's one I've been listening to kind of on repeat since. It, and basically, I, apparently her, because it was written in 1964, that song. So the writers brought it out when they're like, hey, we need it. Like, I want another song here besides what you have. And it was a song I think actually her mother, Judy Garland, sang at some point during her shows. So wow. there was, was yeah. kind of like a tie-in there with that song. Everybody, oh, they love a winner. So nobody loved me. Lady Peaceful, ending shot of cabaret is chilling yeah he definitely comes into his own visually here this is this was this is the one this is the movie that you're like wow this guy has like a vision um which was what was most surprising to me like i said through all of this is his his the language of his camera is very is as distinctive as his language of body movement which is rare uh that that someone can have both 
Yeah, and I, 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 I heard him say he's like the what's so good about the camera is that he can focus on little details. He's like mm-hmm. in terms, he was talking about in dance. There was an interview about dance, but he was like in film, like you can zoom in on the limp wrist or the the as uh, like like the the sweat on the on the brow or whatever when he's like in theater it's like they don't know where to look so they could be looking at this pretty girl over here or this person who's doing this but in the film he's like i can control where they're looking and he does that in cabaret mm-hmm. and I, I mean spoiler alert for those that haven't seen cabaret but i want to talk about this last shot because it's just such a it's it's weirdly with watching cabaret and, and i I don't want to go too much into polit- in, in politics with this, but it, it is weirdly relevant mm-hmm. to me because it's showing with this like Nazi occupation in this movie, you're sl- you're slowly seeing it take over Berlin. And I think it starts off the first time you see a Nazi, they're being kicked out of the club, the Kit Kat club and like being beaten up. And then slowly you start seeing like them out and more and out in public. And then kind of the big thing that happens is that uh, the character of Brian is is at like a they're at some like like picnic event or whatever. It's, it's like some, it's a like, beer hall, I think. Yeah. yeah. And and a, a, a boy starts singing a song. It's the only song that's done outside of the Kit Kat Club. And the camera pulls back to reveal like it's like a, a Hitler youth. And he's singing and everyone's kind of quiet. And all of a sudden, everyone starts bursting into song. And this is when you realize, oh, these people are gaining power within this country. And it's slowly happening in the background. And then like the nail that just like he hits it right on the head in the last shot where it's not shown like it's weirdly it's it's so the shot is like a reflection because he's showing like the back wall of the cabaret and then it reveals that a lot of the people in the cabaret are wearing Nazi uniforms. Mm-hmm. And it's the same. It's the same. It's not a mirror, but it's like a glass piece on the stage. Yeah. And it's the same thing that we see. The first shot of the film is is the MC through that reflection. Yeah. And so he bookends it with the same shot, but now with a completely different context around it. And I think that's just brilliant. Because I think you could have done that so many different ways. And it would have been like... I don't know how to put it. it wouldn't have been subtle. He we're like, you have to really look at the shot to see, Oh, those are all Nazis that are sitting in the audience. Where did this come from? But then you realize he's been setting it up the entire time. And it's just kind of been the background of these characters. Like we've been just, we've been looking at these characters of, of Sally and Brian as just like a, a relationship or as friendship. And then kind of becomes like a, a menage a trois with another guy. And, you're looking at kind of all these different things and the Nazi stuff is all in the background. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I, he handled it in a perfect, he handled it in a perfect way. Real quick. I'll run through these. So 1972 is a big year for Bob Fosse did cabaret one best director for it at the Oscars. He did Liza with the Z, which was like a, uh, a TV special where they, at this point they would do like live concerts, like TV specials through, I think singer corporation, but Liza did one, and they shot it. Ends up getting an Emmy, Emmy win. Actually, gets three Emmy wins. And then, as well, he wins Best Director at the Tonys for Pippin, which makes him the only person ever to win the Triple Crown in one year, which mainly m- means he won an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Tony all in the same year. And no one's ever replicated that. Wow. Yeah. And when he did Pippin, a weird side note, uh, Pippin 
was the first time they made a television commercial to promote a Broadway show. So Fosse was the first person to direct and like write a television commercial to promote a Broadway show. So after Cabaret, it Fosse kind of has a I would I would say kind of a blank check after the the failure of Sweet Charity. Cabaret is a huge success, makes $44 million at the box office, eight Oscars. And he decides to transition to a a non-musical. And he does Lenny, which is like pretty much an art film. It's shot in black and white. Can you mm-hmm. tell us about Lenny real quick? Uh, yeah, so it's the, the kind of life. It's a biopic of um, Lenny Bruce, who was a very famous stand-up comic who kind of was a crusader for free speech in a time when you could uh get arrested for saying vulgar things on stage uh even even if you were inside a private comedy club you were still technically in a public space and people might be familiar with lenny bruce now from marvelous mrs Maisel, where he plays kind of a side role like a mentor role but uh yeah it was a very influential comic uh in a period when not a lot of people were uh, you know, when when a lot of comedy was just kind of set up punchline, he was one of the first people to be like, oh, I can make you laugh and also be political commentary and like social commentary. Yeah, I heard uh, Dustin Hoffman, who plays Lee Bruce, he was talking about he never saw him perform, but he talked to Mike Nichols, who directed The Graduate and Mike Nichols and his partner, his comedy partner, Lane May were working in LA at the same time Lenny Bruce was. And Mike Nichols said like, yeah, Lenny Bruce, like we worked the, the top floor and they worked him. Lenny Bruce worked the bottom floor. And then when we got done, we'd go down and listen to Lenny Bruce. And the, he was a guy where he would go out there and he would plan nothing. He would just go out there and talk. And he's like that. No one had ever done that before where they just talked for an hour and was these kind of like, uh, philosophical questions and these the talking and, and obscenities they ended up arresting him for, but it was just, it was a very different style of quote unquote stand-up comedy. I had seen this once before and what's so just unique and, and also jarring about this film is the film's editing and how it's just completely kind of fragmented, but you'd never seen this film before. Mm-hmm. So what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it was really surprising. It's shot like a documentary. Um, so you, you keep cutting away to actors playing characters from Lenny Bruce's life being interviewed about him after his death. And and it's also intercut with, I mean, a lot like Cabaret, it's intercut with his stand-up routines that speak to what he's going to through in the moment. So it's very similar to Cabaret in that way. Um, we'll see him you know, the, the birth of his child. And then we'll, we'll jump forward to a famous stand-up say, set he did later about like wanting to raise his daughter in the right, you know, not wanting magazines to have a bad influence on his daughter. Um, and so you're, it, it's, which they, a lot of times they accomplish by giving him like a beard. So, you know, that you're seeing like future, yeah. future Lenny. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, it, the, the editing's incredible. It's, 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 you're going between these interviews after his death back to like footage of him as like a young man intercut with footage of him as a, as a more experienced stand-up comet commenting on the things he went through as a young man. Yeah. So it's, it's very intricately woven and I think it, it moves so fast. Yeah. It's really snappy. Yeah. Very much so. And I've, I've read conflicting reports of like, 
when that was all decided of when to have that style. It very much sounds like they didn't plan on it being that fragmented. And they mm. discovered that in the editing. Uh, I had heard that Fosse realized they didn't really have a script. So I uh, really didn't have a good story. So that's when he added the whole interview sections. And he's mm. the person asking the questions in the background, by the way. That's his voice yeah. you hear uh, doing it. And I, I kind of compare it. It feels like Citizen Kane in a weird way. Where Citizen Kane, you have this like unseen narr- unseen like inter- interviewer who's asking the main characters questions, and you're kind of getting this person's life through the perspective of other people, which I do think is like a Fosse thing, weirdly. Yeah, yeah, and it's all shaded. You know, everybody's. It's very clear that like every image that we're getting of him from these people is like shaded from by their yeah. bias or their experience. And I and I don't know if that was fully planned when they were shooting it, but I think it comes across in the editing of it. And mm-hmm. I listened to the the editor, and he talked about how they had so much leeway in it because they were just like, let's just put, let's just move all this stuff around. And apparently, Dustin Hoffman got upset by that. Hmm. Hoffman was upset that they uh, fragmented his performance that way because it was shot more in like a linear way. And instead, they're like, hey, Lin- linear, li- li- yeah, linear. <laughs> <laughs> so they shot that when he was just like, you're cutting all my stuff out, which I which. So he was upset by. Uh, I also I, I heard Hoppin say that uh, him and Bob Fosse clashed on set. And he said because Fosse would would make him do poses on screen based like stand this way, look this way. Mm. And Hoppin's like, no, just let me act like let me, I just want to like go off and do my yeah. thing. Hoffman was not a, was not a, a, no. a blocking kind of person. No, he was not. Uh, and Fosse's like, no, 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 do that. And Hoffman's like, yeah, he was right. When you go back and watch <laughs> it, like he's like, yeah, I realized he was right. There's a, there's a big scene towards the end where Lenny has like a, he's in a raincoat. He does a whole stand up set in a raincoat. Apparently that was mm-hmm. based on a real event and Hoffman received like a video recording of the, a, a student that w- was there that night when it happened. He recorded it and he was like, it's just like, yeah, it's Lenny Bruce up there in a raincoat doing like 10 minutes straight of just like ramblings. And they shot it. And the, sh- the scene is it's all in one take. Like mm-hmm. Fosse never cuts. And weirdly, it's very impactful because he doesn't really do that anytime before that. Like, a lot of this stuff is very snappy and fast. So that scene ends up being more impactful because for the first time, really the entire movie, he just stays on it. Doesn't even move the camera. It's like a static shot of just Hoffman talking for eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. that And it's, it's an excellent decision, like you said, because it's so snappy in the whole movie. And, and it's kind of like how we see him on stage. It's just boom, boom, boom. He always knows what he's going to do. And this scene is the first time we've seen him on heroin. And we're supposed to like recognize that this has become a problem for him. And so we have to, he, he flounders. I mean, he bombs and we we're stuck there watching, watching it happen. And it's, it's very uncomfortable. And it's really sad to see like this person who we've seen has this like incredible pace. And then just to see him like completely crippled by the heroin. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a really devastating scene. Where was I now? Let me see. Where was I? Oh yeah, I know. Oh yeah, I know. I, I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do. I want. I guess you're all wondering why I'm wearing this raincoat. 
Well, the reason I'm wearing this raincoat is, as you all know, I've been busted the last few times for obscenity, and the last time I was busted was in Los Angeles, and they didn't give me time to get my coat. So now since Chicago is a cold city, if they come, I'm ready. Yes, and the heat, the heat is here tonight, man. The heat is here. Are they, oh, are there any attorneys here tonight? Where? You are. Are you an attorney, man? Really? Here. Now you guys got it all, man. There it That's it, man. Is it funny? Is the movie funny? <laughs> yeah. Is the movie funny? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I mean, it, like, his stand-up is funny, and it's really poignant. Like, it gets, there's, there's lots of times. I, I ended up watching, I found on YouTube his whole set from the one they keep cutting to a set that he did where he just, like, brought all of his court documents on stage and, like, read them out, and they keep cutting to it as being, like, he got too deep into his obsession, and, like, we have cutaways where people in the audience are like, oh, this guy's, I thought this guy was supposed to be funny. And I watched it, I watched the whole thing, it's fascinating, it's not funny, like, he's not, he has no jokes yeah. in that set. He just he just brought a stack of court records on stage and was, like, just wanted to talk about his experience in court. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, I think that he has a lot of really, like, funny stand-up and i think outside of the stand-up no it's not funny at yeah, all no but <laughs> it's it's very it's very dark yeah his his uh his wife honey honey bruce is her name uh she i think her she ends up going to jail i think for was it possession as well like yeah she goes to jail marijuana for, possession yeah, yeah in the movie but you're seeing like lenny become like a a loving husband and or a husband and a father, and then just everything kind of starts to change. And weirdly, too, I think this is the first movie where I think Fosse sees a lot of himself in Lenny. Mm -hmm. Because Lenny has these infidelities that, that Fosse is committing while he has a, a wife and daughter at home. And he... Weirdly, with some of these movies, when, when reading up on Fosse, it feels like he's definitely trying to exercise some demons. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think it really starts with Lenny. Yeah, you see, especially the scene—the first time we see him like unfaithful to his wife—is uh, him seducing his wife's nurse after she's in the hospital after a car wreck, and that's just like we're like, oh, dude, yeah, like, no, yeah, this is not good. And put that in comparison, uh, where while I was saying about Joan McCracken, she's like sick with like diabetes, and he's having an affair with Gwen Verdon as she's mm -hmm. sick, and he's trying to split time between the two of them. And essentially, they end up divorcing when she goes in the hospital. So yeah, like he, he's, he's, all of his movies are dark, and it feels like he's like revealing stuff about himself that like he can't do in a, a Broadway musical. Oh yeah, real quick, uh, Al Pacino was originally offered the role of Lenny, but turned it down. He later said it was his only career regret. Wow. But this is before he made Jack and Jill. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, so, 74 Pacino could have killed this. Like, yeah. 88 Pacino on, oh, no, no, thank no, you. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, this is like peak Pacino. You're looking at like, in between Godfather and Godfather Part 2, like Dog Day Afternoon, like... he it, it, Around that period, he and Hoffman had like very similar energy. Yeah, they did. Like, like Godfather 1, Michael Corleone... Is is got some like Hoffman energy to him, especially if you don't know if you're if you're only familiar with like eighties nineties Pacino energy. Yeah, yeah like yeah. you go back to <gasps> it and you're like, who is who is this soft spoken <laughs> young man? Who's this guy? Sick comic Lenny Bruce. 
whose jokes about the president. Blah, 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 blah. You know what's sick? Jaja Gabor will get $60,000 a week in Las Vegas, Nevada. And school teacher salaries in that state, top salary, is $6,000 a year. Now that's really sick, and that's the kind of sick I wish they would have written about. Or the fact that married guys have to jack off more than anybody else. It's true, and it's really weird all over the country. Thousands of guys are lying on bathroom floors, whacking it off to Mr. Simber, because the wife don't want to touch it anymore. By the way, you can't stop masturbating gradually. You got to do it cold jerky. <laughs> Wonder what time is going to say about that. <laughs> All right, how about some more sick Lenny Bruce material, huh? So, yeah, he does Lenny. Uh, one thing that happens with, with Fosse during a lot of his career is that he's known for going overtime and over budget, and Lenny just, like, goes insane of how, like, how much it goes. I think I think it went over, like, oh, God, I think post-production was, like, eight months or something crazy. Um, but, so he does Lenny, and Gwen Verdon who was, they were separated at this point, but they were married and they stayed married till his death. Uh, but she, her and Fosse had always wanted to do an adaptation of Chicago, which was his play from, I believe the 1920s. And they got the rights to it and they want to turn it into a musical. And so basically what is happening is he is shooting and then editing Lenny while also directing and like writing the book and choreographing and producing uh, are helping produce Chicago that stars Gwen Verdon in the lead role. It's, it's a, it, Chicago, I think has weirdly become his most famous work in terms of like musical, mm-hmm. uh, because of the revival that happened in the nineties. It's still currently running. It's apparently the longest running American show on Broadway ever. And, and is I think second only to fan the opera of all time. And Chicago was not well received when it first came out. It's one of the only ones where Fosse lost all the Tonys when he was nominated because a chorus line came out that year and it was directed by Michael Bennett, who was kind of Fosse's like theater rival. But I'm bringing up Chicago because as he was doing Lenny and doing post-production on that, he does Chicago and at the beginning of Chicago uh, rehearsals, he has a heart attack and essentially everything's put on hold. And he goes to the hospital and he is like, starts to contemplate death. And death is weirdly always the thing that has kind of surrounded or has, uh, has haunted Bob Fosse. He once said, I always thought I'd be dead by 25. I wanted to be, I thought it was romantic. <laughs> and he then begins to realize like, well, he has a daughter now. He, he has people in his life that love him even though Gwen and him are like separated, there's still like this kind of connection. She's always been involved in his work. She was on, she was like an assistant choreographer, I think on sweet charity, the movie she was involved in cabaret, always been kind of a silent figure in the background. And this Chicago is like the one time she's like, Hey, let me have this. Let me do this one more time. Cause it ended up being her last performance on Broadway, but he starts kind of thinking, thinking about life and reassessing it. And that's how all that jazz happens. And so all that jazz, I mean, can you tell us briefly about all that jazz? It's I mean, it's basically what you just said. Yeah. He's uh, <laughs> uh, the main character, Joey, is that right? Joe, Joe Gideon. Yeah. yeah, Joe Gideon. Joe Gideon um, is staging a play called New York to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> which is Chicago. 
uh, and also editing a movie he just directed called The Comedian about a stand-up comedian. And uh, and while it's all happening, uh, goes in for open-heart surgery. And this is what happened to him, too, yeah, as well, right? Yeah, he was yeah. having heart issues, went in for open-heart surgery, and then had a heart attack after his uh, open-heart surgery. Well, he was having heart problems. I, I, I haven't gotten the part in the book, but I know in Fosse Verd, and it's like they realize he has heart problems. He goes to the hospital and has a, and has like a heart attack while there. I don't know yeah. if he had open heart surgery yet. But okay. Yeah. Well, in the, in the film, he has it after he's yeah, had yeah, his yeah. open heart surgery because er, he's like, I'm having a heart attack. And his nurse is like, no, you're not. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the last, I mean, spoilers, the last 30 minutes of the film, this is, like I said, this is probably the movie that most resembles what we've talked about when it comes to musicals or, yeah. or theater movies in that instead of like the show must go on instead of putting on new york to la which is what we've seen him preparing this whole time the last 30 minutes of the movie are a musical near-death hallucination that he has uh several back-to-back musical numbers representing him and his his him struggling with his conscience and like his relationships with people all in like the face of death uh so yeah it's wild it's it, it takes everything that we've talked about as far as like the theater genre and yeah. just like turns it on its head. Yeah. And it, it's, 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 it's him going like, I know what a musical theater film is. Yeah. But like, I'm going to take that and I'm going to twist it to show you like what's happening in my yeah. brain. I put it in a blender and, and then just throw in a ton of me. Yeah. And, and like turn, drop my brain turn, turn in, the, in the blender too. A little, yeah. bit of, little bit of Fellini. Cause it's like, it's, I, I, I kind of, when looking at all that jazz and then you have sweet charity, I mean, the hot take is that is Fosse America's version of Fellini? I haven't watched that <laughs> Fellini. Fellini. He's, he's a much more depressed version of Fellini. Than... <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched enough Fellini, but uh, yeah, I agree. It, is, it gets kind of depressing every time. And and talking about obsessed with death, I mean, I hate to, I don't want, I don't want to spoil it for for I won't say which movies, but three of his five films last shot is a dead person <laughs> literally it is yeah when you think about the like three of his movies end with a a a photo or a still image or a pullback of a dead person or dead people like mm-hmm. it's it's very dark um and all that jazz and all but you're talking about say dealing with the the musical theater but you have you have the kind of the fading star with uh the character played by leland palmer who's his who's his like wife or ex-wife and so you have Mm -hmm. her as this like this is her last chance of doing this and and this kind of what happened with gwen verdon where it's like they're aging up but they're still trying to play an ingenue role where gwen i believe was was in her oh gosh almost like 50s and she was playing roxy hart which is not really a character who's in their 40s or 50s and so that kind of comes into play with all that jazz and i i think roy scheider i think all that jazz is fossey's best film yeah yeah i think I'll it's 100 I, I think it's where he really nailed everything i had done before that he'd done kind of by accident he was now doing on purpose and i, and I heard from the editor alan heem where it was like everything we did on lenny by accident we he basically wrote into the script on all that jazz yeah, you've got like a narr- you've got uh, like an interview uh, framing device in a way, yes. Which we come to find out is uh, Jessica Lange plays this character, which we come to realize is like the angel of death almost. Like yeah. it's this, 
it's this angel angelic character who has appeared to him and is like interviewing him about his life and what he's learned leading up to his his uh heart attack or like you know during this whole hallucination yeah and then and then we've also got like within that well they bring his mother in and and there's it's it's incredible like the staging of the like the scene with his mom in particular like you're watching his mom like in her kitchen cooking talking about his childhood as a tap dancer in a burlesque show like we talked about pretty much you take everything brandon said about (laughs) his his childhood from the biography and just apply it to this movie because it's extremely close to his life yeah um he just changed the names yeah uh but yeah there's a scene you're watching his mother like standing in her kitchen cooking but the kitchen is like in the burlesque show and you're watching him dance in the burlesque show in the background it's it's wild like it it's Incre- the, the production design on it alone is, is incredible yeah yeah uh so the angel of death i'm gonna bring this in real quick it's the only character he can't really like bullshit it's kind of the whole mm-hmm. thing is he's the only one he can't lie to apparently based on his second wife joan mccracken no nah. so i brought that up because in, in the early beginnings because he said i was reading that if like he she was always following him like she was always an integral part in his life even after they divorced and she died at a very young age, and so there's a weird thing when re- when seeing that character, the Angel of Death, in that context of this character who he has a close relationship with in this movie. Like it feels like mm-hmm. they're like weirdly, there feels like there's some sort of attachment to these characters. It's not like a oh, I'm just talking to the Angel of Death, like I'm talking to Death here or whatever, yeah. or Angel of Death or Angel of Life. You don't really never really said specifically, but it it now weirdly makes sense that what if he is talking to a previous lover who is dead? Mm-hmm. Cause then that weirdly changes that whole like relationship then where is this whole movie an extended death sequence where all mm-hmm. of this is happening on his deathbed and he's looking back on it. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think the movie ultimately boils down to his relationship with the women in his life, specifically his ex-wife and his, his current uh, girlfriend and his daughter yeah and and just kind of in in the end that that's who puts on which i mean they were all three extremely talented dancers as well the characters the actors who played them so most of the last like half hour dance sequence hallucination or whatever is is uh is the three of them and then ben vereen comes in um playing a character who he just saw on television and like pulls into his hallucination from there. And so the actress who plays his lover, his like new girlfriend and Ryan King who, and and Ryan King uh, was actually his, his ex lover in real life who Mm -hmm. he lived with for like five years or whatever. And it was probably like the closest thing he had to like after Gwen Verdon, the person he was in love with and he made her audition for the role after they'd broken (laughs) up. He made her audition for the role. Uh, she's so good she's really the girl she's great. Her, his daughter is so i love the like dance sequence they put on for his birthday it's it, so was, great. it was so charming oh gosh apparently I, I i listened to roy scheider's like commentary on all that jazz and he said that fossey showed him a little bit of that when they did the dance and shire's like i broke into tears because it was just so like heartwarming and i was so in like in the character of joe gideon that like it just like it broke me watching them yeah. do this like sweet dance yeah, Joe, Joe's this character that like never thinks that anything he does is good enough, and yeah. the whole movie is just the people around him just saying like you you are enough. There's so many instances where they're like you you are you are enough. We love you, and he just can't he can't like, accept it. 
He cannot yeah. accept it. And weirdly, that was a quote I wanted to bring into uh, uh, Anne, his his girlfriend. Uh, she she always said that he that Fosse was a guy. He thought he was the best, and he thought he was terrible all at the same time. Like he never thought he could reach perfection, but always thought it was just a weird, like, and I get that where he's an artist who's like, you know what? No one's better than me, but man, what I'm doing is terrible. Like he just, it's just that it's that complete, that conflict that's constantly there. Yeah. What, what's your favorite part of this movie? Honestly, probably the last, I'm a huge Ben Vereen fan and probably the last, the last big number is it's amazing amazing so it's the when when his character so we've watched his 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 ex-wife and his girlfriend and his his daughter all kind of like sing for him and it brings in him as like directing his his hallucination which is incredible it's it's so good it is it's wild but then this the last sequence is like he's a guest on Ben Vereen's TV show, which he's been watching in the hospital and the audience is all like people from his life, but they're all like dead and they're all made up like with like, uh, like ghostly pale. And they have this huge dance number and it's incredible. And he comes out and dances with Ben Vereen and they're both singing and Oh my, it's, it was amazing. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Bye bye life. Sweet caress, hello emptiness. I feel like I could die. About buy your life goodbye. Bye bye my life goodbye. About buy your life goodbye. Two, Fosse's best sequence he ever did in film and it's it's so it's weird we were talking about like him and death and and a lot of his stuff being dark and like him and Fellini it it's so like joyous yeah and foreboding at the same time yeah. like this the stage is all colorful and there's this like funk band playing and then they'll like cut to the audience and everyone's just in like black suits and just like looking like death and it's it's just, he's having a great time everyone's cheering like, for Joe's, him yeah. Joe's having a blast it's it's the the duality of it is is incredible and then you just get a hard cut to him in a body bag (laughs) it is he he his his ending shots are so chilling from from cabaret onward and that's one where you're just like he's it's still peppy and i i i mean I want to, I would love the one question. I, mean, I would like to ask Spike Lee many questions, but Spike Lee it's comes into play. Spike Lee has known for his like kind of shot where he has like a person on a dolly and they're mm-hmm. going forward and the whole background is like moving by them, but they're staying still. And that's in this movie. That's Roy Scheider as Joe Gideon going towards the angel of death, going towards Angelique, Jessica Lang. And it's that exact same shot. And then like, right before like right before you get like a resolution of your shot like in terms of the pace of it it just is a hard cut and it just and then it and then it ends with the song uh like 
no business like show business or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very Fosse was a, a was very good at satire, and it's present in a lot of his works, and mostly present in all that jazz, where he show business and showbiz was always a part of his life, but he kind of had a, a hatred for it, and it really comes through in all that jazz of like I think he said like. I show business has been great to me, but like it's it's forced me to miss out on things in my life that I shouldn't have missed out on, and it feels like all that jazz is trying to right those wrongs. And the one thing is that compared to Fosse's character is that Joe, once he realizes he's made that mistake, he can't really he can't really make up for it. He dies yeah, once he realizes it's too late. And this is also the only movie I really feel like in Fosse's category, or at least in in terms of cabaret onward where his character actually changes. When you look at all the other movies he'd done, the characters don't really have an arc. Like there's no catharsis with how they change and make a decision at the end. And all that jazz actually has that, which I mm. why I believe it's his, his, his best film. It's also just, it's possibly one of the most personal movies I've ever seen. Like yeah. I can't imagine directing that. Being like, I went through this, this is what I experienced. And then like having to come out and like, directed i mean you've got to be somewhat objective directing something like you, you've got to be able to communicate your experience to all these people and, and and you know get communicate your experience over to roy scheider and to be able to like do all that and somehow still like make it just yeah i, I feel like i'd be like curled up in a ball crying somewhere if i was trying to like <laughs> when 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 you know when same and and when like when reading up you're like oh wow this is pretty much like damn near exactly what happened to him but when reading up on him and like listening to the people that knew him talk about him, they're just like, oh, he always saw Joe as a separate character. He never mm-hmm. referred to Joe as like, oh, me. And I was right. right before I came on, the editor was talking about, he's like, yeah, I, when editing, I always refer to it as like you. Like, he's like, oh, when you're doing this, he goes, no, 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 that's Roy or that's Joe. Like, I'm, that's not me. Yeah, you'd ha- you got to do that for your own yeah. sanity. And Alan's oh, like... Oh, I did... Um, uh-huh. One of my other favorite scenes I, I just remembered is... Um, I, I, it's very, it's very like, small for him, which is, I think, why I liked it so much. It's not one of the big productions. But after he's kind of... There's a sequence where after his heart attack, he's, like, gotten out of bed and is kind of stumbling around the hospital. And uh-huh. a, a uh, security guard finds him. And there's a scene when he's just, like... He's like dazed. Joe is, yeah. is dazed and doesn't really know where he is. And he's just directing the security guard mm-hmm. like for, to sing a song for yeah. him. And the security guard is just like completely humoring him. <laughs> I don't know. I just I found that scene really touching. Yeah. Like the security guard's like, all right. He's like, all right, next time try it like this. And he's like, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of touching moments in this movie for a movie that is, is, is pretty dark by the end of it. But like like you said with his daughter like there's the scene mm-hmm. when they're dancing in the uh in the like the rehearsal hall where they're yeah. talking is is very is very beautiful and then even the scenes with him and his uh him and his ex-wife like that they, they have the scene where they're kind of like when she's kind of dancing and and stretching and all that and he's kind of like they're having this like conversation about he's like i can't i can't do anything i can't think of any dance for this i'm we should shut the whole show down yeah she's just like okay yeah you do this every time (laughs) but uh some some facts about real quick uh paul newman apparently turned down the role the studio okay originally richard dreyfus was cast in this role as joe gideon 
not 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 into that but, sorry but he dropped out during rehearsals because he because he lacked confidence in the production and fossey roy scheider was friends with dreyfus and uh, scheider said that dreyfus didn't like fossey and that fossey didn't like him and shire was like well you should probably like tell him you're gonna drop out if you really hate it and so shire told dreyfus that and then he got the script and read it I was like oh i love this script i want to play this part he went to fossey and was like hey I used to be in Summerstock. I'm I was in crappy plays. Like I've lived this world of this guy. I want to play it. And Fox's like, okay, show up to my apartment every night for the next week. We're gonna read the script, and then after that, I'll consider it. They he came Monday through Sunday, and then Fox is like, okay, I want you to play this role. He went to the studio. They didn't want to cast him because they're like Scheider, that guy from French Connection. Like they didn't see him playing this role. They wanted Warren Beatty, apparently. And Beatty wanted to do it, but he wanted the ending changed. But Fosse stayed uh, stuck by Scheider, and Scheider got to play the role. Remember last Tuesday night? It was raining. Very hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was raining. What about it? I called you at midnight. You must have been walking the dog. I don't have time for this sort of thing. You were with someone. Yes. And you made love to him. Yes. Well, that's it, huh? We're finished. I don't know. How do you feel about me? I love you. Then I guess we're not finished. <laughs> because I really do love you, Katie. Moving on to his final film. I had never seen this film beforehand. Um, and it's one that always gets lost in the mix of Fosse. But it's a movie called Star 80. And so what is Star 80 about, Thomas? So Star 80 is, uh, is another true story about uh, Dorothy Stratton, who was a Playboy cover girl who was murdered by her husband, Paul Snyder. Um, most people are probably aware of the story because she was dating Peter Bogdanovich um, when she was murdered. And he wrote a book about it. Um, I think it's called The Killing of the Last Unicorn. Yeah. Uh, and, and made a documentary about it as well. Uh, so he's he was very like vocal about the experience of of it all yeah um so that's that's probably where you're most familiar with it i did not i i knew of that story i didn't even realize this movie existed until you sent it to me um, <laughs> oh wow okay like it didn't, had no idea fossey had been involved in this nothing had never heard of it period yeah it's one that's forgotten like even even in the fossey verdon uh mini se- or a uh, series they talk about every one of his films kind of in detail, but this is one that literally just gets a, a text, like a one line text. It's like they time jump and they go, uh, two months after star 80 was released, Fosse's worst reviewed film of his career. Yeah. And I, I do think it's, I think it's easy when, when your penultimate film is as masterful as yeah. all that jazz is. It's, it's kind of easy to be like, Oh, okay. We're going to skip over this one. Like that make it, it makes sense. Yeah. But it's, as I said earlier, it's probably his darkest film. 
mm-hmm. because weirdly a lot of his movies before this they're dark, but there's some kind of levity. There's some sort of humor that's present throughout. Like if it's Liza Minnelli's kind of like comedic charm, if it's Dustin Hoffman stand up as Lenny, if it's just the the comedy or the sweetness of the of of Joe's daughter and all that jazz. Star 80 doesn't have any of that. Like it weirdly plays like a horror film. Mm. It, it play like, the music towards the end feels like a horror film. And Eric Roberts, who plays small Paul Snyder is just like, just ultra creep. Just like he plays extremely well, but just very creepy, very much a sleaze, a sleaze bag. Just mm-hmm. has this used car salesman mentality. And I, I, I was reading up on... Oh, well, first off, what were your thoughts of this movie? You never heard about it. I was I was very impressed with it. I, You know, honestly, when, when I saw Eric Roberts in the lead, I, I was like, okay, I know what kind of movies Eric Roberts is in. But this was like before he really became like a, like a B-movie yeah. staple. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a huge cast. No. Um... It's not really any names you would point to. There's some people you know, but uh, but yeah, I thought it was it was still incredibly well done from yeah. his standpoint. Um, and you know, once again, kind of crafted in the way Lenny is. Like you're getting kind of narration of people who knew her, and then you've also like weirdly got narration from her, Paul. Yeah, you've got narration from her like through interviews and stuff, and then you've got this this like narration throughout from Paul after he's killed her before he kills himself. Just like very weird. Like very dark. You keep cutting back to him like you'd be in this like really happy moment for them and then like cut to him like blood drenched. Yeah. Talking about how how things got went got so bad. And how he discovered her and how like, oh like this is this is me. It it's Fosse's told uh Roberts because because Fosse tells the movie a lot from Snyder's perspective, which can mm-hmm. you can say if, if if that was the right way to do it. Um, but Roberts said that uh, Fosse told him the reason why he did that was because he related to Snyder because he feared that if he was not successful in in entertainment, then he would become a character like this. Hmm. And that's why I say I think Fosse is really with his films. He's really trying to like he's looking at the deepest, darkest parts of him. And I think that is a legitimate fear. Cause he was like, he, he was a womanizer. He slept around with a lot of people and he is a very debatable, a problematic figure in terms of like the me too, like if era, um, because he was kind of like used his power in some way with people. But he basically says, I felt like if, if this didn't happen for me, I could have been this guy. And he's exploring that nature of like how dark and manipulative would some person become if they're so obsessed with fame and being successful. And that's what Paul Snyder is. Um, and also, cause uh, this came out recently or a few years ago uh, on Roger Ebert's site. It's not Ebert, but it was a different writer. And they talked about how it's kind of a horror film, especially for like modern day where you're seeing in a lot of different ways, three men manipulate this image and persona of this woman from Mm -hmm. Paul Snyder to Hugh Hefner to even the director who's not named Peter Bogdanovich, but is Peter Bogdanovich in a way where Mm -hmm. they're all trying to craft and mold her image to what they want it to be. 
and even Bogdanovich, because she shot why they kind of got linked up was because she made she was in this movie they all laughed and he really like essentially kind of went bankrupt because he tried to get that film released to showcase her uh her power and charisma as an actress he thought like she was kind of being written off as just like a playboy playmate and he wanted to show like oh she was great she was misunderstood and he like basically took the film back from the studio i think re-released it with his own money and essentially like went bankrupt a few years later because of all that so like he was still even in her death trying to control the image that he he thought people should see of her mm. um but yeah I, I i don't know how it's it's just it's so dark and fossey they actually shot at the apartment where they lived at so the oh, scenes no where the scenes where you're seeing them at the apartment where Snyder and, and Dorothy are living at, that's a legit house, like a duplex they lived in. Cause I looked it up online. I was like, yep, yeah, that's, that's it. They shot all that there. That's uh, terrifying. Roger Ebert said uh, that uh, he called it the star 80 syndrome, basically saying Robert should have been nominated for an Oscar, but the Academy would not nominate someone who played such a creep and such a bad mm-hmm. person. Yeah. He's phenomenal in this. Yeah. Like, it was funny my uh my girlfriend kind of walked in at one point and i was like oh she she was like oh who's that playing the boyfriend and i was like that's eric roberts and she was like what what i've seen him in and i was like uh the (laughs) music the music video for mr brightside and she was like yeah there we go that's exactly (laughs) but but, i mean that's what he's he's kind of made his career at this point on playing like a bad guy in like a really cheesy action movie like that that's him that's eric roberts now but uh but it's and so that's kind of what i was expecting but this is a it's a very good performance it's it's unnerving it is you know even even at the beginning when when you know and it's one of those things you you know the everyone knows the case going into it so like you know what's going to happen and they show you him like covered in blood but then you'll you'll cut from him covered in blood to just this like sleazy dude in in vancouver and and even then there's like he's like a shark like there's just something yeah like predatory about him the whole time yeah there's something when when i was watching it i texted buddy and i was like i feel like i've seen this somewhere and i don't like the way he's playing it feels so realistic where i like i feel like i know people like Mm -hmm. this in terms of just like the sleaziness to them and yeah i think he does it incredibly well and mariel hemingway is great as dorothy stratton as well she she kind of nails the the beginning innocence of her when she's like working at the Dairy Queen and then slowly becomes this like playboy playmate. And she evolves to where she knows what's happening. Realize, Oh, like I fell I fell in love with this guy cause I was young and he gave me attention. And then now I'm like, Oh, he's not a good person for me. I am. Um, I wonder if I, I, I'm Googling it right now to see, I can't find it anywhere. I'm wondering if Paul Thomas Anderson has ever like gone on the record there's, and talk about star 80 yeah because there's very like uh boogie nights vibes sometimes just just in that yeah. like overall feeling of like yeah. everybody wants to be a star but you're, you you recognize that you're like watching people who like they think they're going to be huge but you re- fully recognize that they're not yeah and and it just kind of feels like that that side of la like the 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 you know the porn industry and playboy like that that side of la kind of feels like it's played a similar way even though it's played a little bit lighter in boogie nights it um, is that but, 
that's a that's a valid comparison and even the even the score even the soundtrack has a boogie nights feel to it because it's a really great soundtrack you have they have like billy joel playing throughout some of it uh with mm-hmm. big shot it's weird it's it's i we we, we watched a very uh uh cheap version like it's a dvd train like it's like dvd on demand like four by three so i really wish i would see this movie like in a widescreen high def format yeah i, I also i wonder what, if anyone if there would be a push right now because i went on letterboxd and read some of the reviews and i think there's a definitely a like renewed interest in this movie because of the peter bogdanovich tcm podcast that just came out like last month yeah um so I, a lot of people had found this, like a lot of the, the reviews were the same, which were like, I just listened to the Peter Bogdanovich podcast. It took me forever to find this movie. It's so hard to find, but wow, this is a great movie. Um, so, you know, maybe that'll, maybe that'll lead to a re-release or like, something. I, I think you, I, I, I thought I heard, cause they played it at UCLA film archive here in LA a while ago. I don't know if it was a new rest- restoration or what, but I know they were doing like a fo- a, a Fosse retrospective, and I'm so pissed I missed it. But anyway, <laughs> I literally like I know the person who who does it, and I I I, I was talking to her at the video. She goes, "Oh, we're doing it in a few months a Fosse retrospective." I'm like, oh, that's great. I didn't see her till a few months later. I go, "Oh, when's the Fosse thing?" She goes, "Oh, it ended this past weekend," and I'm like, "Oh God, no." Um, yeah, I I the, I think you can rent an HD copy of it on Prime which I'm or buy it. I'm tempted to do that just to have a digital copy of this in HD to see what it looks like. I mean, I, I honestly fight for, I don't think we'll ever get this. And I understand because, because some characters in his filmography like Dustin Hoffman are problematic. And this movie, some might debate is, I, I, I don't, is maybe not people discuss this, but is this movie problematic in some way? Cause it is dealing with, I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it like glamorizes. It doesn't anything about the movie like it all feels no. pretty sleazy like yeah and i mean nothing you know there, there's it's you know not to down talk sex work but specifically i think in the way that it's talking about men who all these men who've who been prey, a off who of pr- and prey on women yeah, yeah 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 exactly like like hefner hefner comes off as like not as bad as paul snyder but he's definitely not a good guy in this movie yeah in and, and hefner sued them after this movie because he, he didn't like how he was portrayed Efner, Efner, by the way, is portrayed by uh, Uncle Ben from the Sam Raimi uh, Spider-Man Rob- trilogy. Robertson. He's great as Hefner. He's he's great in it. Um, yeah, I don't. I, but what I was saying is that I wish I I would love Criterion would never do this, but I would love a box set of F- Fosse's five films. Like I would like to see that, mm. and that will never happen because Starry's never gotten a really good release uh lenny's never really gotten a good release like i think there was a blu-ray that came out um that's now out of print and costs like a hundred dollars to buy and i'm like well i'll never get that um so it's some of the stuff is kind of hard to find um and i would love to see these films kind of get a little bit of restoration and be kind of reassessed and and especially in terms of like looking at fossey's career as a film director yeah if you can find star 80 uh feel free to go watch it but it's 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 pitch black like i i don't mean in in terms of a film to end your career on it's still in the vein of fossey but it's just it's it's so dark i don't know what else to say yeah. if, if you're if you're like oh i really like the choreography in in cabaret i'm gonna watch more bob fossey movies like starting yeah. might not be, be the one for you what yeah. you're looking for <laughs> yeah i think uh, ebert talked about it he was just like 
what's the point of star 80 i'm not sure just say i wasn't sure of the points of in cold blood there's no redemption in this movie no catharsis it's one where it he kind of compares as a taxi taxi driver Hmm. and i kind of get that because that's kind of what i was thinking of when watching it too where we're following this very sleazy character who has these kind of illusions of grandeur i guess you could say of what his life should be like and what the world is is preventing him from doing yeah we'll play a clip real quick because i don't know what else to say about star 80 and we're gonna move on <laughs> i know this could be a real opportunity for us it could change our lives what is this us our i don't see any naked pictures of you here paul i don't see any pictures of you with your privates hanging out for the whole world to look at let's get the camera i'm willing oh i bet you are She wouldn't even walk around the house in a nightgown before she met you. Do you know who reads Playboy? No, tell me. Movie producers, directors, agents, TV people. The people who produce Charlie's Angels read Playboy. I have this feeling about Dorothy, this hunch that she's going to be a big star in the movies or on TV, I don't know, but a really big star. But she's going to need help. You can't do it alone. You need somebody. And you're going to be that somebody. I know all the tricks. I know all the con games. Hey, I know all the bullshit, and there's plenty of that, believe me. Together, we could be somebody. People would know who we are. People would know our names. People would treat us that special way, the way they treat stars. People would, that way, walk into a restaurant. People... I do love her. What did you say? I said I love her. Funny. I could have sworn you said I love it. <laughs> you don't like me, do you? I love Dorothy. The answer is no. Why? Give me a reason. I don't have to give you a reason. I'm her mother. That's the reason. That's the reason. So. Bob Fosse dies at the age of 60, 1987. He only made five films. Uh, he died of a heart attack uh, in Washington, D.C. when him and Gwen Verdon were walking to, I think we're, we're walking to go see a the premiere of their revival of Sweet Charity or whatever that they would, they'd worked on. And uh, I think he died in their arms, like on a park bench. And so that even though they, they were separated, they were still like just loved each other even to the end in some way. But because that his i believe his work as a theater director is and it's more it is more important his theater work is more important but his film work should be talked about more but uh a few things before we move on to kind of our ending stuff awards real quick for his films sweet charity three oscar nominations cabaret 10 oscar nominations and eight wins lenny six oscar nominations zero wins it got beat by beat out by the godfather part two for best picture he could not get away from coppola when his movies came out um, all that jazz, nine Oscar noms and four wins, lost to Kramer versus Kramer for Best Picture. Also nominated in that category at that point, Apocalypse Now. Hmm. So, so you're looking at I'm seeing you're seeing Coppola and Fosse running at the same exact time, but Coppola is the more talked and understandable is the more talked about director. Uh, all that jazz did win the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival. Star eighty zero Oscar nominations. 
But Eric Roberts did receive a Golden Globe for Golden Globe nomination for Best Actor in a Drama. Oh, okay. uh, his his theater nominations, real quick. Fosse was nominated for twenty Tonys and won nine Tonys. Uh, he won eight Tonys for Best Choreography, the most of any person. The closest uh, is five wins by three different people. He also received Best Actor nomination in a musical for Pal Joey in 1964. And stats for the film. Most popular film on Letterboxd. Uh, Cabaret. No. All that jazz. All that jazz. 27,000 uh, views. Uh, least popular film. Star 80. No. Sweet Charity. Sweet Charity. Uh, technically, Sweet Charity, if we're talking TV stuff, it's Liza with a Z with uh, 452 views. Sweet Charity has 3,100 views. I think Star 80 is like 3,800. Hmm. Highest rated film or top three highest rated films. All that jazz. That's number one, yeah. Uh, Lenny? Lenny's number three. Oh, and Cabaret. Yes, Cabaret's number two. Uh, I'll... And lowest rated film. I'll read all the all the scores out when we were done with this one. Sweet charity. Lowest rated film. Sweet charity. Uh, his. I'm a, I'm gonna include Liza with a Z in here because I think it's worth discussing in terms of like how you want to end me with it. The ratings on Letterbox. All that jazz. Four point two. Liza with a Z. A four. Cabaret. Three point nine. Lenny. Three point eight. Star eighty. Three point six. Sweet Charity, 3.5. That's still pretty solid, man. All, all out of five. All very solid. Um, most appearances by an actor. Um, ben Vereen. Ben Vereen. Hey. Ben Vereen is tied. He's in Sweet Charity and All That Jazz. Also an actress. Uh, Deborah Giffner is in All That Jazz. She's the actress he sleeps with. That like The first actress he sleeps with that auditions for him at the cattle call. And she's also in Star 80 is like someone that, that Paul Snyder is like, he's kind of a pimp. Paul Snyder also kind of plays kind of a pimp. Uh, and he's, this is one of the characters he kind of pimps out. Uh, also too, I didn't, we didn't even talk about this in all that jazz, but the cattle call scene is phenomenal. I just want mm-hmm. to throw that in there because that's a, a phenomenally crafted scene, and edited scene. They didn't cut to the music, by the way. They cut without music and then add the music in later. Wow. Yeah, which that is insane perfectly. when you watch that. Uh, who, Fosse just had a great sense of pace. I got a stat for you. Okay. Throughout throughout all of theater film month, uh, what what restaurant has made the most appearances in our movies? Oh God, is it not Sardi's? Nope. What restaurant? Yeah. Oh, Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen. Two Dairy Queen appearances. <laughs> Weirdly, not just that. It was in Texasville for Texas month. Yeah, that's true. We've yeah. had three Dairy Queen appearances in the past month and a half, guys. Apparently, Dairy Queen, America's Restaurant, is what it's America's fast food. Um, final questions. Is Fosse underrated? Absolutely. After after the marathon I've just done, I think so. I was I was very impressed. And like I said, yeah. I I knew of him as a choreographer. I did not know of him as a visual director in any way. And yeah, I was blown away. So I think, yeah, I think that that qualifies as underrated. I agree. Uh, is Fosse an auteur? Similar question, but would you consider him yes. an auteur for film? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, lots of lots of similar themes, using some of the same people, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely similar themes throughout. Uh, and then, what are his running themes? Speaking on that. All right, here we go. I got one. I got <laughs> one. I'm gonna launch into real quick. Okay. 
all right, when, when a lot of times when you talk about feminist theory and the way that men view and portray women, there's the idea of the Madonna or the whore and someone is either one or the other. They're, they're like yeah, yeah. a pure holy figure or they're a, a kind of like dirty sexual figure that is looked down upon. And uh-huh. in four of his five movies, he's got, has characters that are both. Which I don't know what that says about him. Yeah. But it says something that in, in four of his five movies, he has characters who are like female characters who are involved in sex work in some manner, but are all like very childlike in the way that they view the world. Even even Lenny's wife, like Honey, is is very like childlike the way that we see her and the way that she views everything. And she's introduced to us as a burlesque dancer. So and I mean, Dorothy absolutely is portrayed as like very pure and and innocent and and um and uh and cabaret sally is like very childlike in the way she views the world and has dream has dreams of like doing these like great things as like a performer wants to be an actress yeah and then obviously charity i mean that's the whole point of her character so i don't know what that says about him maybe it, i'm sure it goes back to being raised in the world of burlesque yeah but yeah, it's 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 interesting that when I when I f- first started to clock that, I was like, wow, all of his female characters are like, like stripper with a heart of gold, that like stereotype kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which which says something like it, it, it says something about the way he objectified women, but also I don't I don't know like what what the whole like childlike part of it I I can't I haven't had enough time to like dig into that yet. But yeah. yeah. It's, it has something to do with the way he objectified women, for sure. And the dude had some weird, some some really twisted ways of viewing women. But yeah, I, I don't know what that means yet. I'm still thinking on it. And when I get it, I'm going to write, a, write an, an article and we're going to publish it. In the, it's going to get <laughs> professional publishing and academic journals. But <laughs> I'm working on it. Okay. Any other themes besides that one? I mean, Burlesque, <laughs> call, burlesque Calls is a big one. Yeah. Like night, nightclubs in general. Like, yeah. I mean, every movie I think has nightclub scenes, except maybe all that. Well, no, I mean, no, all of them, because he's he has the the childhood stuff of him like working at burlesque hall. Mm-hmm. He hasn't sweet cherry. She works at a dance hall, um, cabaret. She works at a club. Um, uh, Lenny, he's performing in nightclubs. Yeah, and, and I think I think like stuff like that. That is that's the the most interesting thing to me about like all tour theory. Is he only wrote one of these, right? I mean, All yeah, That Jazz all is that the jazz. only one that he wrote. Yeah. And somehow yeah. in like in his influence and in the way he picked his projects, like all these things are just laid out flat. And I mean, that's yeah. that's wild. Yeah. Um uh, what else running themes? I mean, just dance. Death. <laughs> death, oh, you, death, death, dance, death, dance and death. Death, yeah. death and dance. Um yeah. Uh and then how does Fosse fit into the theater genre? Well, and, and going, sorry, going along yeah, with dance, right. just like performance in general, yeah, I mean, between exactly. Lenny and Star 80 as well, just like persona, you know, how you present yourself to the people around you being different. I mean, and, and all that jazz, he says, it's showtime. It's that's showtime, folks. Yeah, it's showtime, every, every, folks. every morning, that's morning. how he prepares to go out in the world. He's performing constantly. Yeah. And and even to a point, I mean, this is the thing, in, even in Chicago, to bring in the theater stuff, where, like, he's exploring that in Chicago in 1975, around the same point, where you're looking at uh, celebrity culture and violence in America and how it's perceived and how it's p- portrayed. Um, 
and the obsession around violence and celebrity. And that's kind of apparent in, in some of his other films as well, with Star 80 specifically, both with this idea of, uh, and even sex as well. Chicago also has things to do with about sex. And that's present in Star 80. That's present in in Lenny. It's present in Cabaret. Um, yeah, it's it's out of. I mean, I don't know if out of the ones we've covered in terms of these these directors we've covered, is this the most like consistent in terms of themes? I think so. I think this, these are these are five movies that you can look at and be like, like yeah. if you watch these five movies knowing nothing about Fosse, and then you turn around and said. Bob Fosse went through puberty performing at burlesque calls. You're like, oh, that's boom. That, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. And so final question with this is how does Fosse fit into this theater genre? Uh, I mean, it's from a from a dance perspective. He's obviously like insanely influential there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think all that jazz, like I said, I think all that jazz is like the it is a really incredible like capper to this month for us in that it takes everything we've we've talked about and just and and inverts it and makes it really dark and really personal whereas you know as much as we've enjoyed these movies not a lot of them have felt personal and maybe that's something to do with like theater and the proscenium but, that's a fair point yeah but this movie feels like i mean i guess birdman birdman felt personal like for keaton, keaton. yeah um but it still had that kind of like removed like oh we're laughing at this aspect yeah. to it um but yeah i think he he especially all that jazz it just takes he he is someone who knows theater and i'm sure that he studied these films as he was making them he studied you know the ones that came before and he takes everything we've talked about and just just flips it um yeah, but yeah i think i think he's someone who is influential on theater culture probably one of the most influential people on theater culture ever yeah. I mean, definitely on like the Mount Rushmore of 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 theater. Um, so yeah, that it's it's his his case in particular is so interesting because even if he had never made any of these movies, if he had never had a directing career, or if he had just done Sweet Charity and then gone back to theater, we would still be talking about him. Yeah. And in fact, most of the time he is talked about more for what he did on stage than what he put on film. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah. I, 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 he's he's rarely talked about in terms of film um and, and there has been like a renewed interest in him because of the fossey verdon series on fx with sam rockwell and michelle williams as the two leads which you can find on hulu if you want to stream it guys we're not sponsored by hulu but feel free um but yeah it's it there's something about him just like in terms of his style and verdon was a part of it too because she was with them Scheider even said on all that jazz it's like after a, like during the uh, air erotica scene when he was doing it he'd do a take he'd go over to her and be like what'd you think like hmm. he very much would go to her for her advice on a lot of his creative decisions i don't know how how much that was with all of his film stuff but at least in terms of the dance numbers and musical numbers with cabaret and with all that jazz it's very true Go seek out Fosse if you'd like, guys. I mean, it's it's uh it's I, I think a guy worth discussing in terms of his filmmaking career, not just his dancing and theater career. Um, I think like you said, he's on the Mount Rushmore because even the people who did West Side Story or Oklahoma and those choreographers, they they haven't reached outside the theater world in terms of like the mainstream. Fosse feels like any someone who doesn't understand theater and doesn't understand dance 
can spot a Fosse number. I mean, it's prevalent even in our culture from, I mean, I mean, he's also a problematic figure, but Michael Jackson took a lot of his moves from people like Fosse and Fred Astaire, even to the point of Billy Jean being all black with the hat on is pretty much a Fosse character. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's all on Fosse. Any more, any final thoughts on Bob Fosse there, Thomas? It was wild. What a ride. (laughs) All that jazz is, I was blown away. I just got to say, it's probably the most like blown away I've been by a movie of late. Um, yeah yeah it was incredible i, I didn't think we we're gonna, we, i didn't think we'd go this long on bob fossey being he has five films and literally yeah. had like 20 <laughs> yeah I, I you know me all tour theory like especially people who no one talks about all tour wise like I, I love that stuff i love it yeah so so next month guys so we're, we're this is the the finale of our theater month so next month we're going to be discussing coming of age movies i think we have five weeks we're gonna actually have an extra episode we're gonna cover an extra movie in the middle of between our director episode and our our genre episode so stay tuned for that uh yeah it's gonna be an exciting month and hopefully we'll we'll bring you some good coming of age movies to discuss make sure you subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify give us a rating give us a review we're also on stitcher like like and follow us on facebook twitter instagram and look at our stuff on medium and yeah it's been a fun episode it's been a deep dive into bob fossey and i hope you guys enjoy it thomas as always thank you for coming on it's been a blast and guys thank you so much for listening we hope you listen to more episodes soon bye